0: What a great song, what a wonderful name it is, because it's only in the name of Jesus that we find eternal life and the hope of heaven. want to begin with a quiz today. You're thinking, great, that's just what I wanted on Easter Sunday, a quiz, all right? I'm going to give the date, and you tell me what happened on that date, if you know. October 14th, 1492. Columbus landed somewhere. You know, because there, there's lots of places that say he landed there, but we just know he, he made it somewhere, okay? December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. May the 18th, 1985, Tom and Jan got married. <laughs> hey, it's my quiz. I can, up, I can make up any questions I want, okay? October 31st, 1517. Yeah, what you got? Martin Luther nailed his theses to the church doors at Wittenberg, thus beginning the Protestant Reformation. January 28th, 1986. Space Shuttle Challenger Challenger exploded. Um, July 20th, 1969. Neil Armstrong standing on the moon for the first time. April 15th, 1912. Titanic sinking of the titanic right now all of those dates are important dates in history some more important than others granted but today what we call easter sunday we celebrate the most significant day on the calendar there's no other day throughout the year that is more significant and important than the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the lord jesus christ when he showed us When he validated that he had conquered death and the grave. That's what we celebrate today. Go back to that first Easter morning with me, will you? Imagine what it was like. The sun's coming up over the rolling hillside. There's maybe a little dew on the ground. A gentle breeze is causing the tree limbs to sway. And there's some ladies if you, if you add the gospel accounts together, there were five of them, and they've bought some spices, and they're making their way to the tomb so that they can do the final, preparer, final, final preparation for burial of Jesus. They're just about there, and it hits them. See, they, they know where he had been laid because they, they know the tomb they put him in. Mark 15, 47, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid, but they get, they're getting there and they say, oh man, who's going to roll the stone away? Because they remember as Jesus was put into the, into the tomb, a giant stone was rolled in front of the tomb. It would have weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And there was no way these women could move it on their own. And so they realized we've got all of these spices and we want to do this for Jesus, but there's no way we can get in. Because the stone was an insurmountable obstacle. They couldn't figure out how to get past it. Just days before, their spirits had been crushed. They watched Jesus nailed to the cross. They watched him hang there. They watched him die. They watched his body be taken down and taken to a tomb. They were discouraged. They were depressed. They were devastated. You can can give any number of adjectives to describe how they were feeling. But they're going to honor him one last time. But the stone was an obstacle. Don't we have insurmountable obstacles in our life at times? Things that we can't figure out how to move on our own? Maybe it's a career, career path. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's children. And you're saying, man, who's going to roll the stone away? Debt, divorce, depression. could go on and on. You have bills you can't pay, people that can't please, habits, substances you can't resist. And the truth is, you've tried to move those obstacles on your own to no avail. You've tried to roll those stones away if you would, but you can't do it on your own. And you're crying out, man, who's going to move this stone for me? The title of today's sermon is, Easter Means Hope for the Hopeless. Today, if you would say there are things in your situation in life that cause you to be hopeless, I've got great news for you today. Easter brings hope to the hopeless. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, we're going to read the first eight verses and then we're going to talk about what that means to us. All right. As is our custom here at Eastwood, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse one. Now, when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, "Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us?" But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb For they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. Last week, we were talking about the cross, and we talked about some some specific changes that, because of the cross, happened in people's lives. How, how the thief on the cross next to Jesus, the one who put his faith in the Lord, how the, the cross made a change from sinner to saint. How, for the Roman centurion, it made a change from doubt to faith. And, and we talked about different individuals, and I want to keep that theme going this morning. And this time, what, what difference does the resurrection make? What, what does, how does the... The, the resurrection change our lives for the better first of all easter means hope for the forlorn hope for the forlorn hope for those who were to say they were discouraged marrying those other women that would be an understatement to say they were discouraged i think there are stronger words they were devastated inconsolable shattered they had put their faith in jesus they believed that he was god come in the flesh and and, and then they watched him die and they didn't understand. No doubt they had seen the dried blood on the cross when they took Jesus' body down, the, the blood on the ground. They had watched him carry his body away. Now they were disillusioned and disappointed. It's kind of They weren't the only ones, though, that, that were that way. Luke 24 talks about two disciples, not of the twelve, but two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And one says to the other one, we had hoped. That he was the one you know anytime you speak of hope in a past tense that's not a good thing anytime when you say we had hoped but that's not a good thing a soul without hope is kind of like a body without food man it'll kill you if you don't have some hope in your life you will die a slow death you ever had hopes and dreams crushed right in front of you like these ladies Maybe, um, maybe you wanted to get married and you prayed that God would provide just the right person. And when that person came into your life, maybe you thought they were the right person, but they didn't. You, you had hope that maybe your marriage could be saved for the better, and, and yet it didn't happen. You, you had hope that you would have a child, only to watch that child grow up and become an adult prodigal. And your hope dashed. You hope to get out of debt. You hope to have a better job. You, you hope to be healed from a disease. On and on we could go. But when those dreams are unfulfilled, man, that can be devastating. When the things you hope for don't come true, it can be hard to handle. But when Mary and the women and the disciples see Jesus, everything changed. John 20, 20, says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They went from, from being forlorn, discouraged, devastated, to being overjoyed. It, seeing Jesus made all the difference in the world. When your faith is in Jesus, you never experience the complete absence of hope. Never. Psalm 22, 5 is a messianic psalm. It says, to you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and we're not disappointed. Listen friend, apart from Christ life is full of disappointments. Even when you have Christ, it doesn't Jesus never said he was going to take you around the storms of life. Sometimes you're in a storm because you're in the middle of God's will for your life. You ever thought about that? The disciples, at one point Jesus tells them to get in the boat and go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He stays behind to pray. Now being God in the flesh, he knew there was a storm coming. It was intentional. And the storm comes up, and the disciples think they're going to die out there on the sea. They were in the boat on the sea right in the middle of God's will for their life. Sometimes we face storms because God wants to grow us through those. December second, two 2015, out in California, the Inland Regional Center, it's a nonprofit for uh, people with disabilities, The county health department was having a training there, and they were also having a Christmas party, about 80 employees. A husband was one of the employees, and he got up at one point during the morning, and he left. And he came back with his wife, and they were dressed head to toe covered with automatic weapons, and they began to shoot. By the time they were done, 14 people were killed, and 22 others were wounded. 27-year-old Denise Peraza was there. And her life was spared that day. Not because the shooter saw her and chose not to kill her. That's not why her life was spared. Her life was spared and she's alive because of 45-year-old Shannon Johnson shielding her. He used his body as a shield for her when the bullets started flying. They were seated next to one another. I want you to hear her words. She said, Wednesday morning at 10.55 a.m., we were seated next to each other at a table, joking how we thought the large clock on the wall must be broken because time seemed to be moving so slowly. I would never have guessed that five minutes later we would be huddled next to each other under the same table using a fallen chair as a shield from over 60 rounds of bullets being fired across the room. While I cannot recall every single second that played out that morning, I will always remember his talking about Shannon Johnson's, his left arm wrapped around me, holding me as close as possible next to him behind that chair. And amidst all the chaos, I will always remember him saying these three words, I got you. I got you. And he died that day from the gunfire, and she's alive because he had her. I tell you those three words because today... If you're forlorn, you're devastated, God says to you, I got you. I got you. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I'm your rock. You may feel like you're drowning, but you're not. God says, I will never leave you. I've got you. I got you. I got you. Easter also means hope for the fearful. Do you remember what the disciples did after Jesus was arrested? Matthew 26, 56. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Good thing I'm not Jesus, because I'd have said, you bunch of cowards. But he didn't. But that's, what, I mean, they, they, they were afraid. They ran and fled. In fact, the gospel accounts only reveal that one of them was even at the cross, John. He's the only one that we know for sure followed Jesus all the way to the cross, It's kind of implicated that the other 10, because we're discounting Judas, the other 10 weren't there. They were still afraid. After his crucifixion, they they, they were even more afraid. John 20, 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, notice it says on the first day of the week. In this account, it says that the women didn't tell anybody because they were afraid. But when you put the Gospels together, they eventually do tell the disciples just as the angel had told them to tell them. It's the first day of the week. This is the night of the resurrection. He's already resurrected. But he's been out of the tomb for hours now. And, there, and the angel said, Jesus says, go meet him in Galilee like he said he would meet you. And they're still in Jerusalem locked up because they're afraid. They're scared. They're confused. Verse 11, if you have your Bible open, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Verse 13, they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. These guys are, these guys are afraid, but something transformed them from fear to faith. John twenty nineteen says, We've read that to you, but I didn't put the whole verse up. This is the whole verse. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. They didn't meet Jesus where he he said to meet them. He came to them and he said, peace to you that's it. When they saw Jesus, everything changed. They went from fear to faith. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and now they start preaching Jesus in the synagogue. They start calling out people because of their hand in the death of Jesus. The presence of Jesus made all the difference. October seventeenth, 2016, the Huffington Post had a story about our fears and how fears as children and fears of adults aren't really that far apart that that often they're they're similar for instance a childhood fear is going to the doctor the adult equivalent is Dr. Bill's they're similar right a childhood fear is bad dreams An an adult equivalent is unfulfilled dreams dreams that don't happen a childhood fear is strangers the adult equivalent is a social anxiety about being around people. A childhood fear is clowns. An adult fear is clowns. <laughs> Our fears are not, they're not that different. We, the article pointed out how sometimes we say a child's fear is silly and irrational. But the writer pointed out that Here's what the writer said. Their proof, no matter how old we get, we're never alone in our fears. Some of you today are afraid. There's some uncertainty in your job. There's some uncertainty in your health. There's some uncertainty in your home. Whatever it is, you're afraid today. The article said that the only thing that fights fear is hope. Hope. Whatever challenges we meet in life whether it be cancer or Alzheimer's or teen pregnancy or floundering 401k or crime or a natural disaster in the face of all of those things we any of those things we can still say we have hope because Jesus has said I will never leave you nor forsake you now we lose in the English translation some of the meaning some of the impact of what Jesus is saying there Because when he says, I will never leave, the word there literally means to desert or abandon. Jesus says, I'm never going to desert you. I'm never going to abandon you. And the word forsake was a nautical term which meant to let sink, to drown. Jesus says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to let you sink. I've got you. You're going to be fine. We have hope because of Easter when we're afraid. We have hope when we're forlorn. Third, we have hope when we're faithless Thomas he missed that first appearance the disciples were locked up in the upper room and he wasn't there we don't know where he was but it's obvious from one of the gospels that he shows up after the fact that Jesus has come and gone just a little sidebar I've always hated the fact it was Thomas because we called him what doubting Thomas. why couldn't it have been Philip or Andrew or somebody like that Thomas but I digress Thomas wasn't there, and in John 20, here's what happens. He shows up. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas lacked faith. He was a skeptic, if you would. He said, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And you know, he gets grief for being a skeptic, but you need to hear me. Skepticism in and of itself is not bad if if you're willing to follow the evidence where it leads you. Now, if if, if you say I'm a skeptic and you're not willing to follow the evidence, no, you just have unbelief, all right? There's a difference. But if you're a skeptic today, all I ask of you is follow the evidence, see where it leads you. Lee Strobel, uh, was an investigative editor for the Chicago Tribune, dealt most, mostly with legal stuff. He was an avowed atheist, didn't believe in God. But his wife got saved. And he watched as things changed in her life. And, and he, he, seemed that they, he saw that their lives were kind of on two different paths and he felt like he was losing her. And so as an investigative editor, having contacts all over the world because he worked for the Chicago Tribune, he began a two-year journey. He began contacting New Testament scholars and and, and writers and researchers and archaeologists trying to find out the validity of Jesus' claims in the Gospels. And for Lee Strobel, he said it all hinged on the resurrection. That was the key. If he could disprove the... He, he wasn't trying to prove Christ. He was trying to prove to his wife that Christ was not the son of God so that he'd have his old wife back. And he said, man, if I can just disprove the resurrection, then it's a house of cards. It all falls. So for two years, he investigates. One night, after a two-year journey, he gets out a legal pad in his office, and he draws a line right down the middle of the page. And he begins to write on one side what he thinks is the proof that Jesus is not who he said he was. And then on the other side, he begins to write all of the evidence that he has seen that Jesus is who he said he was. Lee Strobel said it was overwhelming, the evidence. That night at his desk, having spent two years trying to disprove Jesus, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He called out to the Lord. He wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And if you're a skeptic, I would encourage you to get the book and read it. Because he talks about all of the evidence that, that piled up validating Jesus being who he said he was. In fact, Thomas, he and Thomas are a lot alike. They were both skeptics. In John 20, when Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus and he's allowed to touch the holes, the scripture says that he fell to his feet. And here's what he said, my Lord and my God. He went from skeptic to faith because of the evidence. And so today, if you're a skeptic, just follow the evidence where it leads you. Easter means hope for the forlorn, for the fearful, for the faithless. Easter is hope for those who have failed. Failure. Everyone here knows what it's like to fail. Might have been a job, a marriage. Maybe you feel like you failed as a parent, or, or maybe you feel like you are failing your parents. We've all experienced it. There was something interesting in in the Scripture today, though, that we read. Look at verse 9. We we didn't get to verse 9. We stopped at 8. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. You ever thought about that? The very first person that Jesus appears to is Mary Magdalene. Now, who's Mary Magdalene? She's a woman named Mary from a town called Magdal. When Jesus meets her, she is possessed by seven demons and she's living a life of prostitution. You want to talk about feeling like a failure? I am sure she did. But Jesus set her free from the demon possession and she changed her life. He changed her life. And to me, it's interesting that Jesus chooses first to appear to one of what we would call the greatest failures as far as past history in the New Testament. And then the angel, did you get what the angel said? Go tell the disciples and who? Peter. Does that mean that Peter wasn't a disciple anymore? No, what it means is Peter was lacking faith because he felt like such a failure because he had told the Lord that he would not deny him. And Peter Peter was a, he was a an ardent follower of Christ. Who was it at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said who do men say that I am? The disciples began to answer, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one who had the faith to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's the only one who had the faith to get out of the boat in the middle of the storm when Jesus was walking on the water, and and he walked on the water towards the Lord. And, And so Peter's faith was great. At the Last Supper, when Jesus begins to say that somebody's going to betray him, Peter said, I will lay down my life. For you. Before the next morning, he had denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. One time he said, the scripture says he cursed, said, I don't know the man. So Peter feels like a failure. In John 21, Peter's back to his old life. He said, Man, I, I'm not a good follower of Christ because I, I denied him. And so he's back fishing on the Sea of Galilee because that's the only thing he knows. One morning, the resurrected Jesus shows up on shore, and Peter doesn't see who it is yet. And Jesus hollers out to him, did you catch anything? Peter answers, nothing. Zip, nada. Those of you who are fishermen, you know what it's like to go fishing for a long time and not catch anything. That'll just bless you, right? And then Jesus says, well, throw your net on the other side. Now, I'm confident, even though the Gospels don't say it, I'm confident that Peter thought to himself, Mr., I've been throwing my net on both sides of the boat all night long. But he does it. He throws his net on the other side, and he catches so many fish, he can't pull it in. He recognizes that this is Jesus, and the Scripture says he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore because he wanted to be near the Lord. He had failed. He had failed the Lord miserably. Three times, Jesus interacts with him that morning and says, Do you love me? all three times and all three times Jesus said or Peter said yes you know I love you the very last words specifically to Peter in John 21 were three words he said you follow me yeah you failed but listen friend Jesus doesn't kick anybody to the curb just because you have failed does not make you a failure do you hear me Just because you failed, that one failure does not define who you are. That doesn't make you a failure. It just means you're human and you failed like the rest of us at something. But Easter says there's hope for those who have failed. Those who have failed the Lord God. He's here to forgive and to give grace In 1997, Nike released, in my estimation, one of the greatest commercials ever. You hear the voice of someone. And unless unless you're an ardent sports fan and recognize the voice, you don't know who it is right away. But here are the words. I went back and listened to the entire commercial on YouTube, and here are the words. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. Twenty-six times I've been counted on to take the last shot, and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Those were the words of Michael Jordan, probably the arguably the greatest basketball player ever to live. Six uh, MVP, or, yeah, six-time championship, six-time Finals MVP, five times MVP of the league, fourteen times All-Star. I mean, this, this guy. And he says, you know know why I succeed? Because I have failed. But I don't let failure define me. And friend, don't let a failure define who you are. Accept the forgiveness of of the Lord. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Peter never would have stopped feeling like a failure. But it's hope. Last thing, Easter is hope for the the finish to our life. 1 Corinthians 15 Paul writes that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Since the sin in the Garden of Eden, man's greatest problem has been death. It's been the fact that we're now going to die. I was on a government website this week, and I know it's kind of morbid, but I was, I was looking at research on statistically what are the odds that we would die a certain way. And here's, here's what the government website said. A car crash. You have a 1 in 102 chance of dying in a car crash. As a pedestrian, 1 in 561. I'm guessing that's still a car crash. It's just you you get hit by the car. Choking, 1 in 3,138. Lightning, 1 in 114,195. Being killed in a dog attack, 1 in 132,614. And as I thought about all of those statistics, I thought, but here's the real thing. Here's the odds of dying, 1 in 1. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how we die. We're all going to die. For centuries, for centuries, death had a 100% success rate. But Jesus changed it all. When he came out of the tomb alive, death no longer could claim a 100% success rate. And so he promises by his resurrection that we have hope in how we can finish our life. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus offers one thing that Muhammad couldn't offer, that Buddha couldn't offer, that no other teacher could offer. And that one thing is eternal life. Over and over again, he says, put your faith in me and you'll have eternal life. John three thirty six he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see him, but the wrath of God abides on him. Listen, friend, at conception, when we were conceived, we inherited a sinful nature. We inherited death. But at conversion, we inherit into eternal life. Everything changes. Our eternal destiny is not a difference of good and bad. It's a difference between life and death. But seeing the resurrected Jesus means there's hope. You know, when I go to the mailbox, one of the, the things I hate to get the most are utility bills. Can I, can I get an amen? Especially in the hot of the summer or the dead of the winter. Now, imagine you're this guy. His name is Kieran Healy of Raleigh, North Carolina. This is his actual water bill from June of 2017. Now, when he looked at it, everything seemed normal at first, a balance due of $189.92. Now, I personally, if we had a $189 water bill, I mean, I'd be, I, I'd be beside myself. That's, that's high, but I guess where he lives, that's not that high. But notice the service fee, the service charge right underneath it, $999,999,999, $1 short of $100 million. He went on Twitter and he tweeted asking Osawa, the, the, the utility company, if he could make installments on that. He knew that it wasn't right and, and, and the company said it was a software glitch from the people who send out the bill. I don't know, I'd have have passed out if I got a $100 million bill. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even get my mind around owing $100 million. But in light of the debt that Jesus paid for us, that pales in comparison. Because, friend, you can't, if you had $100 million cash, you couldn't buy forgiveness of your sins. It would not be enough. You'd never have enough. It's only by the grace of God we're saved. You know, uh, when you and I were conceived, our parents went to the doctor. They heard the heart. Except, it was a lot faster then. We're born. We go through preschool, the heart never stops beating. We go to kindergarten, our moms cry because they have to drop us off, but we're fine. We play Little League Baseball, the heart keeps beating. We go to the prom, the heart starts beating faster. <laughs> we go to college, get married, begin to have a family of our own go through our career one day we retire begin to enjoy life and then one day it stops and my question to you this morning is where will you be on the day that your heart stops everyone here will end up in one of two places heaven with the lord god or hell eternally separated from the Lord God and the choice is yours eternal life is a gift God offers to you a gift but like any gift you have to receive it he doesn't force it on you I'm gonna ask you to pray with me right now some of you this morning in all complete honesty if you were if you were to be honest this morning you would say you know what pastor If I were to die right now, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. Or some of you, in complete transparency, you'd say, I know I'd go to hell. Doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says in Romans 10 whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Only way I know how to do that is to pray. Nothing magical, there's not a magical set of words you have to pray. You just have to call on the Lord and ask him to save you. And this morning, today, if you are tired of living the way that you've been living and you're ready to turn from the the things that you've been doing and turn to the Lord God and begin living for him, if you want the forgiveness of your sins, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer this morning right there where you're seated, not out loud, just in your heart. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. Help me live for you. Now with our heads bowed,